Hi, and welcome to the UMA Academy podcast, where I, Dr. Yanni van Lochem, have the honor to talk to the top of the world of aesthetic medicine and can pick their brains on the latest insights and most interesting developments. So, um, today, I would like to welcome uh, my friend, but uh, my very esteemed colleague, Professor Martina Kerscher. Martina, welcome. Thank you, Yanni, for having the possibility to talk to you here. Yeah, and, and thank you for taking the time. I know how extremely busy you are and your schedules are and our schedules are during these meetings. Absolutely true. But I think if something is important, we have time to do it, and that's right now. Yeah, and um, I'm, we are we're right now in Stockholm, Sweden. We are at the masterclass of the Mertz Distributing Partners uh, you know, branch of uh, Mertz. So, so there's in total 28 countries represented. And uh, we are here at this meeting in this beautiful little hotel. Um, and we, there was, how many people were there? About 100, 150? 150, I think 150, 160. Yeah. And we both shared some, some great stuff, some uh, beautiful presentations. But actually, um, so I was talking about Bilotero and, and Radius and doing live injections with those products and, and you were talking about botulinum toxin and um, and doing also live injections. That was really nice to, to see. But actually what I wanted to talk to you about was um, basically who you are and what you've achieved and especially I want to get your idea about skin quality. So um, you are a professor working in Hamburg University. You are the head of the Department of Cosmetic Sciences, is that right? Absolutely correct. Basically, yeah. for sure, I'm dermatologist. I have got a classical dermatology training at the University of Munich. And then from 2000 onward, I started to work mainly in aesthetics in cosmetic sciences at Hamburg University. So the Department of Cosmetic Sciences is part of the chemistry yes, faculty, right? Yes, it's within the chemistry faculty. This was a decision at that time, so more than almost 25 years ago. And at that time, no, maybe you know it, aesthetic and aesthetic dermatology was not really esteemed within mm -hmm. medicine. And at that time, in Hamburg, they decided to have uh, more research, more research in life sciences and beside nutrition, also cosmetic sciences was one of these new divisions that have been built up and I was the one who was chosen to build up the cosmetic sciences division. So were you, uh, when did you become a professor actually? Well, I became a professor in 1996 but for wow. dermatology. Yeah, okay. And then I worked within dermatology at the uh, Department of Dermatology in Bochum in Germany, then in uh -huh. Ulm, and then this professorship in Hamburg, I applied for it and finally I got it and this was the best decision in my life. I wow, think. so for the last 25 years you yes. have been heading this Department of yes. Cosmetic Sciences. And can you tell me a little bit about what you do there? Well, uh, first of all, for sure, I'm teaching because it's a completely, it's an independent master degree course with a master in cosmetic sciences. This means it's a master in 
well, natural sciences, this is the one part lecturing. Mm -hmm. Ten hours a mm -hmm. week, mm -hmm. that's a lot indeed. Yeah, it is a lot, yeah. For sure, I have master students, I have uh, then my doctoral thesis students. PhD, yeah. Yeah, they are research, uh, doing research for their PhD. And we have a division conducting clinical trials. Mm -hmm. That's another important thing. We have an outpatient clinic. And for sure, we have our research. And that is probably why you have so many publications. Because, you know, you go to any meeting around the world and there's always reference to one of your papers, at least. Well, for sure, research is one mm -hmm. of my main topics. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy to see that around the world in the last, I think, 10 to 15 years, research really is becoming more and more important in aesthetic dermatology or in aesthetic medicine overall. And I think this is important. Think about our publication, Cannula versus Needle. Absolutely. This more practically oriented research, but also really basic research. If you think about skin quality, about toxin and how they can affect different cells into the body. Yes, because these are medical procedures. We're talking about a new field of medicine. And so we have to look at it from a scientific perspective, you know. Absolutely. And when I started, it was more or less uh, yeah, empiric research. Mm -hmm. We started to try to inject and look what's happening mm -hmm. thereafter. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, it has been developing to a really emerging, emerging field also of research. And I think that's yeah. really fantastic. So, so we are basically at the beginning of this new medical field. And we're we're pioneering uh, to you know, like do the first discoveries actually in, in this very young and in this young medical field and that's really exciting to be part of that development absolutely yeah. the same for me because yeah. on the one hand side it's exciting it's always something new and on the other side we have our patient and we yeah. are able to make them really happy even by doing just minor changes it completely changes the lives, mm -hmm. our patients' lives. And that's what me then makes me happy again. Yeah, me too. And sometimes you just need a little bit of product to get that little bit of like magic in the face and that makes somebody shine. And, and when people see that, when they look in the mirror, that, that's really, yeah. really amazing. And so, so within, the, within the Department of Cosmetic Sciences, you, you also have all these devices that you use, uh, scientific measuring devices with which you do your research because evidence-based medicine you have to measure what you do and you have to you know run through statistics to actually see if, if what you're doing uh, has a statistical significance. Absolutely, for sure. On the one hand side and I think especially in aesthetic and especially if we are doing minor changes for sure Patient satisfaction is the one thing mm -hmm. that's overall. On the other hand, we need to have objective data to quantify the outcomes. For example, measuring skin surface roughness, mm -hmm. getting really exact objective parameters in micrometer dimensions or mm -hmm. measuring volumes of the face, measuring pore size objectively or uh, skin elasticity. We have more than 10 different parameters just to get an idea about elasticity and firmness of the skin. Mm -hmm. And this Hydration. is important yeah, yeah. To, to get objective data on the one hand mm -hmm. side and to make our patients more happy. 
Yeah, exactly. And and so that was actually that is a nice bridge to to my main question to you because um, you know having all this knowledge as a professor in dermatology, but also you know with all these measuring devices that that measure all these skin characteristics that quantify different elements of skin quality. How would you define skin quality? Well, that's really a good point. Well, uh, skin quality and to define it is really, or it's, it seems to be something really subjective. Mm -hmm. However, and uh, I was part and I organized this consensus meeting where we discussed about it worldwide. Mm -hmm. And I think finally, a good skin quality means that our skin is useful, however, useful for the individual age, because for sure, a 25 year old woman cannot have the same skin quality like a 55 or maybe an 80 year old skin, uh, because so it has to be a good skin for the individual age, useful for the individual age. Mm -hmm. It has to be healthy. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely important. We know, for example, in younger patients with acne, mm -hmm. s even just some five, six papules on the skin, on the cheeks, markedly influence skin quality. Mm -hmm. Pore size, something like this is a major topic for the younger generation. So always useful and healthy in the individual age range. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And for sure, we can assess this using four, uh, well, overall categories. So we can assess skin firmness. So we can mm -hmm. do a snap test. So so if you, if you say youthful skin, right? So to me, that is still a little bit subjective. So so if you if would you say that youthfulness is more is that what you were going to explain now about about uh, elastic skin is, is that part of it or is it well, skin color you are skin absolutely tone? right yeah useful is always subjective yeah you cannot and it's always individual so i think we have to respect individuality mm our patient's individuality if we are assessing skin quality. However, for sure we have to look for objective parameters mm -hmm. because the overall topic for some patients, it's predominantly pore size. For other patients, even if they are just 30, 35, they come and tell us, well, I feel my skin loses elasticity. It's not that firm than it was before. So for our patients, a lot of subjective criteria yeah. come up or skin tone and skin tone evenness. Yeah. For some, it's more erythema, teleangiectaceous. For other, especially for the darker Fitzpatrick types, it's irregularities concerning pigmentation. Um, yeah. pigmentation. So it's always individual, but we have these four categories that can help us to objectify skin quality and to get objective criteria. Even if we don't have all the different measurement systems, we can assess it clinically and try to get objective criteria and then to develop a treatment plan because this is overall the most important thing. So the four criteria, what were they? Well, the four criteria, first criterion is skin firmness. This means how hydrated skin is, how skin elasticity is. We can assess it 
just with the SNAP test for our patients, mm -hmm. this is the first important criterion. The second one is for sure skin surface, skin surface smoothness or skin surface roughness mm -hmm. and all the things being associated with it, pore size, scars after acne for mm -hmm. example, wrinkles, hair yeah. growth, yeah. we often forget hair growth yeah. but for sure it affects mm -hmm. overall skin quality. Yeah. This is and coarse wrinkles, barcode lines around the mouth, these are skin surface roughness parameters. Then we have this so-called skin glow mm -hmm. and it's really hard. Skin glow, I think this is the most subjective one, but mm -hmm. I'm sure if you assess a patient, you directly see whether skin is glowing or not. Does it have to do with refraction of light? Yes, it's reflection of light. So we can, so by giving absorption, tiny points reflection. of HA, for example, mm -hmm. we can change and mm -hmm. improve this. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have skin tone evenness. Mm -hmm. So these are the four so-called emergent perceptual categories that can help us to objectify skin quality. And skin tone, that is redness, brown, uh, Brown age spots, for example, or hyperpigmentation yeah. or melasma in mm -hmm. younger yeah. patients during pregnancy, for example, or after pregnancy, mm -hmm. post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or tilangiectasias coming together with rosacea. So again, a broad spectrum and depending on the individual Fitzpatrick phototype. In phototype 1 and 2, it's more erythema and tilangiectasias in darker phototypes, it's more a topic of hyperpigmentation or irregular pigmentation and skin tone evenness, that skin is not that even concerning the tone. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's it, the nice thing about this topic is that for our patients, this is a really, really important subject. You know, for us, we love to talk about bone resorption and revolumizing, you know, and, you know, injecting radius for lifting. But in the end, what our patients are concerned with, it just, just happened today, you know, the, the patient, I give her a full face treatment, give her the, uh, on stage, give her the mirror, and she looks in the mirror and she sees the little entry points where I put the cane in and she says, oh, this is a little red mark, yeah. right? And, and so for our patients, like the surface skin, the skin and, the, and you know, the surface of their face is, is really the most important thing. Absolutely. But you have to have in mind our younger patients, for sure. They are always doing selfies the whole day. They are doing selfies. Mm -hmm. And what they are also doing is putting filters over their Absolutely. selfies. Absolutely. So, and then sometimes they recognize they want to have this perfect, glowy, mm -hmm even skin also in real life mm -hmm. and that's why especially the younger generations are so concerned about their skin quality do you ever have a patient that comes to your office because apart from the university position you also have your own private, private clinic yeah. private clinic yeah and uh, do you ever have patients that come with a picture of their filtered selfie and ask you can you make my face look like this Absolutely. That's very often the case. And for sure, then I have to tell the patient, well, you have to differentiate between real life and <laughs> yeah. all these filters, but we can try yeah. to give the skin a healthy, glowy look. And I think for me as a dermatologist, mm -hmm. this is my overall objective because I think this is key even in all the patients. I have some older patients that don't do selfies all the day, but they come and show me photos 
was 20 or 30 and they said, well, I know now I have wrinkles. That's not a problem for me. But I just want to have this glowy, good-looking skin. Exactly. And, and that, that's why it's for, for us as, as aesthetic physicians, it's really important to actually have a structure with which we can make diagnosis. And then based on the diagnosis, what is exactly the skin problem in this individual? And then based on that, we can, we can give the patient a targeted treatment plan. Absolutely. That's, I think that's the most important thing, to look after the most predominant criterion mm -hmm. among those four and their subcategories to develop a tailor-made treatment plan for the patient, whether it's maybe more tightness needed or just mm -hmm. uh, a little bit improvement concerning pore size or whatever mm -hmm. it is, or giving the patient a recommendation to remove the hair. Mm -hmm. Finally, yeah. a very easy step, but also influencing overall quality of the skin. And when you, when you treat your patients, do you also include skincare, topical treatment? Absolutely. I'm yeah. a dermatologist, so for sure yes, I have yes. in mind a daily treatment regimen mm -hmm. is my basic step for all my patients. So I uh, start always to explain that this regular skincare on a daily basis helps us to maintain our treatment effect, to optimize the treatment effect we gain with our minimally invasive procedures, and to make, for example, skin tone even more even over time. For example, we have a patient with some irregularities concerning pigmentation. For sure, we can do laser treatments or we can stimulate collagen synthesis with calcium hydroxyl apatite diluted or whatever we use or small micropunctures with HA. But then we cannot change this immediately. It takes time because mm -hmm. it took time that skin lost the regular pigmentation and then I recommend my patient you need daily sunscreen you need something to stimulate your fibroblasts like mm -hmm. retinol for example yes, yes. you need antioxidants like vitamin C or other plant derived antioxidants mm -hmm. and this on a regular basis to improve your skin day by day and so from a scientific perspective, which of these ingredients are really proven to work? You mentioned retinol, vitamin C. Uh, yeah, like I think both are yeah, gold standard. Absolutely, retinol yeah. is gold standard among those so-called collagen stimulators absolutely. because we know retinol is really able to stimulate our fibroblasts. Mm -hmm. It takes time for sure, but it works. And vitamin C on the other hand, in concentration of 5% and more is gold standard among the antioxidants. And w which other ingredients would you say have very solid evidence behind them? Well, it depends for sure on the topic. If we are talking about hyperpigmentation, it's uh, maybe a new plant-derived uh, substance, really good assessed bakutsiol. It's a plant-derived retinol result oh, really? oh. and it's uh, less irritating so I it's see. great for patients with mm. skin phototype 1 and 2 for mm. patients with sensitive skin for perimenopausal female patients that have irritants uh, mm. after using retinol and it makes skin tone really even this is another 
proven substance than peptides for sure. Yes. Peptides, smaller peptides, pentapeptides, three peptides, they are also able to stimulate fibroblasts. Great products. And HA topically, it sounds boring, but a lot of data substantiate that HA applied topically gives an immediate hydrating effect on the skin surface and is also able to penetrate deeper if it's fragmented HA mm -hmm. to give a deeper hydration. Really interesting stuff. And of course, glycolic acid is also one of the... For yeah. sure, glycolic yeah. acid also really good assessed as a peeling substance, but also on a daily basis used as a toner, for example, mm -hmm. containing a, uh, glycolic acid, because otherwise it's, it's often difficult to yeah. get everything. We mm -hmm. cannot do everything in just one yard, so we mm -hmm. need separate products, and glycolic acid is perfect to be used as a toner or as a pet. Mm -hmm soaked with glycolic acid to get this uh, effect on the skin and then you can go forward with your antioxidant or with your retinol mm -hmm. for example hey you mentioned uh, peptides just now and that brings us to a very interesting new topic because uh, the peptides of course are relatively new and they are a, a regular component nowadays of lots of skincare but there is, there aren't so many that are very, like, convincingly, uh, scientifically based, right? So, can you tell me a little bit about the idea of peptides? Well, the idea behind peptides—they usually came from uh, wound factor. healing research. So, mm -hmm. uh, some peptides have been assessed there and have shown great results concerning fibroblast activation. Wound healing in general is a perfect scientific model to mm -hmm. get an idea how anti-aging substances work because if you stimulate wound healing, you stimulate your fibroblast so you get more collagen. That's what we want during age. So uh, they have been assessed and it starts with one pentapeptide. Um, and this pentapeptide has been proven to really stimulate fibroblasts. It's able to dock on a receptor on the fibroblasts exactly. and therefore directly stimulate the fibroblasts. And so it's five amino acids. Five amino acids. And, and they are probably uh, a part of some kind of growth factor. Right? They are a part of growth factor. So These peptides, they, they are ligand, linked. Yeah. They are linked with palmitine palmitinic acids, mm -hmm. so it's a palmitoyl pentapeptide mm -hmm. and this fatty acid mm -hmm. allows the peptide to, to go, go into the skin. Yeah. Growth factors, on the other hand, are they too are big. too yeah. big mm -hmm. and they cannot penetrate skin barrier, mm -hmm. so we have to disrupt skin barrier or we have to do a needling and then we could apply growth factors. However, uh, here in Europe they are not allowed. And what do you think, and I think that could be the, the last question, um, what do you think about this whole new revolution of exosomes? Well, this is another topic, I think, another topic maybe for another 20 minutes, Tom, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. well, for sure, I think we have to really look careful behind the science. For sure, exosomes might work, but we have to look about the origin, where they do where they come do from. they come from? Yeah, That's exactly, absolutely important. Mm -hmm. And what should they achieve? Where should they act? For sure, they are really convincing mm -hmm. studies. And the idea behind is to regenerate ourselves, to rejuvenate ourselves. I think we have 
to get more into depth, we have to do more basic research studies to make sure that exosomes really work if they come from a proven origin. Source, yeah. Then how we can store mm -hmm. the yeah. exosomes mm -hmm. or so I think it's a broad topic, an interesting topic, but we are just at the beginning. Yeah. And I, I've seen some examples where exosomes applied topically can do really amazing work um, uh, for hair growth, for wound healing, uh, and, and probably also for skin rejuvenation in combination with some kind of stimulant like microneedling or something like that. That's it. With yeah. microneedling, then yeah. we open yeah, exactly. skin and we know they can penetrate. And I think the most important thing is to look behind the scene and to make sure we have safe exosomes mm -hmm. yeah great so we are almost at at half an hour so i want to keep these little podcasts uh, nice and short not too long but i i guess there's so much more that we could talk about martina um maybe if you don't mind uh, i would like to ask you back one one other time when we see each other in another part of the world somewhere Absolutely, looking forward because it's always nice to go into depth about these topics. My pleasure. Thank you, Yanni. Thank you very much, Martina.